the hardest word in the English language? Well, some may say onomatopoeia, others may say synecdoche, which I probably just mispronounced. Now for business leaders, hardest word, well, smart money says it's either the word yes or the word no. We'll figure out which one today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. You know, as a founder, we find that most founders actually try and do things themselves. This sort of bootstrapped mentality, do it on a shoestring, do it on a dime, get it done by myself. But today's guest actually talks to us about the value of having somebody else give your hand, finding that first right person to help you out, making that smart decision about bringing that first marketer on board. And as we said in the intro, really helps talk through What's the hardest word in the English language? Is it yes? Is it no? So Erica Brescia, who's the co-founder and COO of Bitnami, is going to walk us through exactly those ideas. So sit back, take a listen as we talk first hires. We talk about yes or no. And we talk about how to do things yourself, but do it the smart way today on the podcast. I am very excited to have Erica on the call with us today. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about kind of talent, resources, and managing your time and managing all of the heady expectations that are being thrown at the founder and in the founder's life. But Erica is going to do all the talking here. So Erica, first, uh, thank you for joining. And why don't you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and why you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Erica Brescia. I'm the co-founder and COO of Bitnami. Uh, we automate packaging of software and deployment and maintenance of those packages on the cloud and in containers. Um, we're most known today for a catalog of apps that we deliver through all the major cloud vendor marketplaces, including Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft, Oracle, and others, and we'll drive over a billion hours of compute usage this year. Um, I'm also in the, the spare time that I don't have an investment partner out of X Factor Ventures that's funding the next wave of amazing female founders building billion dollar businesses. Okay, so absolutely full plate for you. Um, you you're <laughs> yeah. getting you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Uh, it was one of the things that we you know talked about in, in prep for this. Um, and you know, as a founder, you you have some really great insights about kind of managing, managing your day, managing your relationships, you know, how to do this smartly. And, and you've been also helping and mentoring people along the way as you, as you work with, uh, um, you know, in an advisory capacity to up and coming leaders. So let's, let's start with the, the first one. And, and you had this, this great idea about the concept of saying no, and I'll, I'll let you <laughs> put this in your own words and really talk about the power of that. Yeah, and I mentioned I was on a panel recently, and one of the co-panelists, so to speak, mentioned that she had been told by a mentor to say yes to every opportunity that comes her <laughs> way because that's a way to get ahead. And uh, honestly, I think that's terrible advice. Um, you know, saying yes to a project that's given to you early in your career that's a great opportunity to advance your career is almost certainly the right thing to do. But in particular, as a founder and as your company and your profile grows, you have constant opportunities thrown your way. And I think it's really important to um, 
be a bit strict with yourself and your time and how you think through those and whether they're really material and going to move your business forward or if you're just saying yes out of obligation. Uh, I've, I've gotten very, very good at saying no, and <laughs> it's not because it's something I enjoy doing, but the reality is um, you need to keep your priorities straight. And while a lot of these things might be fun, you know, the dinners or the, the evening events, uh, certainly in Silicon Valley, you could be out every single night of the week probably for nice dinners and you wouldn't really be getting any work done. So um, I always ask myself, is this really the most valuable use of my time? And what do I expect to get out of this if, if I participate in it? And I think in your gut, uh, you tend to know whether or not it's really, um, you know, worth it to say yes to something. But I default to no and say yes <laughs> on exception rather than the other way around. Well, and that was that was the piece that I was going to ask, and and I'd like to highlight a little bit. You know, we hear that a lot, right? You hear this idea of uh, just say no and the power of no. But I, I think you really hit on something here on the tactics to actually go about doing that and the litmus test that you use on when to say no. I think it's easy to get caught up um, and to be flattered, right? That that you get to be invited to these things, you get these opportunities to network and interact with other people, and so it might feel easy to say yes. But I loved how you were thinking of my default is no and letting your gut decide whether you're going to say yes to that or not and using that as your as your starting point. Yeah, and another thing is, um, especially earlier in my career, and especially when it's a great opportunity, you know, I, I tended to feel really like, how can I pass this opportunity up? I'm so lucky to have this opportunity in front of me. And then I would end up too overloaded. And I'll give you a specific example. I just had an, an email come in before this call. Somebody's asking me to speak in an event. Uh, I'd love to do it. I enjoy public speaking. I think in particular as a woman in technology, it's important that I get out and I, I just talk about what we're doing and show that there are actually a lot of us here and, and, and that's growing. But um, this particular particular topic in conference is a bit out of my expertise. And I know that developing a keynote for a conference takes a lot of my time and energy. And even though personally, I think it would be a great experience for me and a good thing to do, I'm going to say no, because I know that it's going to take way too much time to prepare. And um, when I start loading these things on top of my plate, I end up not doing as well at any of them. It's the same thing when I look at investments, right? Like, I try to say no really quickly because I know that I'm generating more work for myself and then I end up not delivering on, you know, the key things that I need to do. So I try to take that into account, not just the, the thing itself, but all of the associated preparation and where I might need help from other folks uh, in order to deliver something that I'm being asked to commit to as well. Well, and it, it sounds like as you go through this and you free up time and focus it, it it's sort of a never ending cycle of, as you continue to free up time, there's always something else waiting to take its place. And you have to go through this um, sort of constant evaluation on what's the right thing. And I think your, again, your litmus test of trusting your gut um, sort of helps you make those decisions. Am I, am I correct in that? Yeah, absolutely. And then I will add one other thing that I think is key, which is travel. <laughs> like I see so many founders traveling all of the time. And I actually travel more than anyone else in the company right now, but I take those trips incredibly seriously in the sense that 
I think people underestimate how disruptive travel is and how much time it takes um, to get from one place to another. And I'm constantly asking myself, like, do I really need to get on this flight? Do I really need to go to this place? Could we really accomplish the same thing via a video call? So I, I think people really need to pay attention to their travel commitments. And if you're going to default to know anywhere, it should be around hopping on a plane. Well, and I think this segues nicely into one of the other points that we had started talking about, which was this this notion of um, founders and founders getting help within their organization as early and as quickly as possible. And, you know, you had some insights, uh, and I'd love you to take us back to, you know, even some of your Y Combinator training and days on mm-hmm. this uh, this notion of frugality, but being smart about it and getting help within the organization. And I'd love to hear your insights there. Sure. So one of the many mistakes I'll say I made early on was not getting help soon enough. And I mentioned in our earlier conversation, you know, in the founder world, in very early stage companies, there's a pride around scrappiness and frugality Mm -hmm. that I think is great. Like, don't go buy air on chairs, right? I think we all know that (laughs) now. But, um, but I think people sometimes over-index for that, and I certainly did. I waited way too long to get help on the kind of operational and logistics side. And I didn't realize until I finally brought someone on to help with that how much of my time I spent doing things like scheduling meetings, booking travel, rescheduling meetings if something came up, um, taking care of basic office operational stuff or low-level marketing logistics stuff. When it's very early days, you can be tempted, especially in the technology world, to spend all of your your resources in developing the product and um, hiring engineers in particular. And I think it's really key to recognize the, how valuable your time is in those early days and take advantage about how you can get the most – or take – um, note of how you can get the most leverage out of it. So um, I've encouraged a lot of the founders that I've worked with when they're thinking about how to build their teams out um, when they get their first round of funding in, I've encouraged them to look for someone on the operation support side, usually either an executive assistant or an office manager, depending on whether or not they have a space. Um, we use a hybrid of both. Somebody runs the office and is my EA Um, And they can get both of those jobs done at the same time, partly because we have a lot of offices and this person only manages one of them. Um, But I I think that's really a key. Like, don't, I know people say you should do every job to taking out the trash, but I just don't believe that that's true. As soon as I got help, I became a lot more effective in getting things done that actually move the business forward. And do you find as a, as a, founder, um, are you, is there any angst about sort of turning over some of those responsibilities and letting somebody help you? Is it harder to do than it sounds? It depends. It's, and it's certainly harder for some people than others. Uh, I mentioned to you before, you know, I'm a mom as well as a, a software <laughs> company founder. <laughs> and that means I've got, and I have X Factor as well. And that means I'm uh, insanely busy. And so I've gotten over time really, I think, pretty good at figuring out anything and everything that I can delegate either in my personal life 
uh, or in my professional life. I'll tell you it was harder for me in my personal life to realize that I just needed to get help with keeping my house clean and our laundry done and all these other things because I just couldn't do it effectively and it would end up stressing me out rather than, you know, keeping me focused and energized around the business. Um, so, you know, getting back to your original question, I would say uh, it took me a little bit of time. It, it's taken my co-founder quite a bit longer to get used to having somebody else do that stuff. And it's natural, I think, to feel a little guilty, particularly when it's not fun work that you're passing off. When, you know, I, everyone we hire, I believe, is truly exceptional and fantastic at whatever they're doing. And I feel bad asking them to you know, kind of fold t-shirts or whatever it might be. But um, I think over time you start to see how powerful it is when you get someone really great that you can trust that can take that stuff off their plate. And there are a lot of people who delight in being able to empower the office and the team in that way. So, um, yeah, I think it is hard to get used to passing things off. But if you want to be a successful leader, I don't think you have a choice. Like, you have to get good at that or you're just <laughs> never – going to be able to contribute in the optimal way to the company. Well, and, and I think this one, you know, this one dovetails nicely into the next point, which is um, especially around the discipline of marketing, right? And we talked a little mm -hmm. bit about kind of finding that first person, having that person come in and help you lead the organization. And, you know, your take on this was a slightly, you know, in your own words, a slightly controversial view on the relationship that, that the founder and the marketer should have. But I think it, it fits in very nicely with everything we've talked about so far about sort of establishing trust and building this relationship and knowing roles and responsibilities and how to free up that time. So let's, let's spend a little time talking about that, you know, that first marketer and the, the relationship that the founder has. You know, what's, as you were thinking about your marketing team and your, your marketing resources, um, how are you approaching it? What's the philosophy that you take? And, you know, what is it that you're looking for as you bring that person in <clears throat> to, for, to establish that first relationship? Sure. And I'll say, speaking candidly, um, we got it wrong a few times. Um, we had some fantastic people, but that were not a fantastically good fit for us earlier in the company's life cycle. And I feel like I've learned a lot out of that. I think if you have a marketing background, it's much easier to hire a great marketer for your company than it is if you don't. And I have a background in BD sales and operations, and my co-founder has a background in engineering and products. So marketing <laughs> was the natural gap for us, which I think is why uh, it was a little more challenging for us in the early days. Um, there are are a lot of things that I think are important to consider when you're hiring a, mar a marketer. The first and foremost is, is it someone that you can really genuinely work well with? Like chemistry is king in this role more than any other role. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's quite as important if you look at roles like a sales role, for example, or even potentially a BD role. But with marketing, you know, as a founder, you almost have to have like a mind meld with the, with the <laughs> marketing lead because it's so critical to the success of the company that you get the right messaging and positioning and voice out in the market. Like you can build the best product out there, but if you can't explain it to people well, if you can't explain to them why it's important and how it's going to make their life better, you have no business. 
And I think that's why a lot of founders tend to hold on to marketing for a very long time is because it's, it's so critical to the success of the company. And it can feel very personal for founders too, because, you know, you're putting your, you know, heart and soul into this company in pretty much every waking hour of your life. And the marketing is like the public view of that aside from the product. People see the marketing before they even see the products. You almost feel like it's a reflection of you and what you're, what you're trying to build. So people feel incredibly passionately about it. Um, I do think it's still important, especially if you're in the, you know, in the situation that Daniel and I are, and you don't have strong marketing kind of DNA in the founding team that you bring in somebody stellar on the marketing side um, in the very early days, but that you really work with that person to make sure, like I said before, like you have this mind meld or you said co-conspirator. I love that. <laughs> um, that you have someone that you, that really understands where you're taking the, where you want to take the company and then can translate that into how you present the company to the world. Um, and, and that's really hard to find. I think there are a lot of great marketers out there, but people sometimes don't put enough emphasis on their understanding of your specific space and what you're doing. Like in Benami's case, you know, we're very deep in infrastructure software and we market to operations folks and developers. And when you're in an industry or a space like that, you can't not hire somebody who really understands those audiences and how to sell those types of products well, because um, otherwise they're going to do more harm than good and actually turn off your audience by, you know, using too many buzzwords or, or, or whatever else, you know, urge developers. Um, <laughs> so I think making sure that this person has like the, the really deep understanding of your space and your audience and how to reach them is important. Um, I'm sure you've seen this and maybe I can ask you a question. I'd be curious, but, um, you know, you, there kind of seems to be, there's kind of a changing of the guard in marketing a little bit to where it went from lots of branding work and things like that, which is still important. Don't get me wrong, but now marketers have to be much more technically sophisticated and really understand, um, demand gen and understand the data and and do a lot of analytics. They need to be very data-driven. And I don't think that was the case, you know, at least 20 years ago, maybe even only five or 10 years ago. Do you think that that's, that that's the case or am I missing the mark? No, no. I think there's, there's actually a split, a division between the sort of data-driven, data-focused marketer and the more empathetic marketer. And I think what organizations are struggling with is to try and find the balance of the two. Um, it's, you know, it's one thing to sort of dig into and get lost in the data and the data can give you some great insights and help steer and guide the organization. But if you're not sort of stepping away from that and also making that sort of human connection, you're having that directed conversation to know that there's actually a person on the other end of that that's actually buying your product or service, no matter how complicated, how complex the sale is. I think, you know, organizations miss if they don't have a blend of the both of those. The, the real mm -hmm. challenge is that marketers seldom live in both worlds. And, and so, you know, they can, they can try and straddle and put a toe into one and the other, 
but everyone's sort of geared and, and focused on one over, over the other one. And so finding that blend, finding the right team, finding the right approach, getting the right DNA within the organization is, is a real challenge. And it's not just for earlier stage companies, it's for later stage as well. That balance of constantly trying to find both halves of the equation is, is, is tough. So no, you're yeah, not, you're not, really- you're not off. <laughs> Good to know that. Yeah, I, I think that is that is especially in the earlier stages of a company when you don't have unlimited resources to build out a huge marketing org. You need to think carefully too about if you need to weigh more heavily on one side. What is that, right? Like, do you need a marketer? For example, we just we actually just hired a new CMO. Uh, haven't announced it yet, but I'm very excited about the woman that we're bringing on. And I was really looking for someone with a lot of experience on the demand gen side in particular. I mean, she's a CMO level person, but kind of came up through uh, the demand gen side of the equation, has done branding work and other things. But I made the conscious decision to weight a little bit more heavy, heavily towards the analytical side rather than the branding side, because I felt like that's where we need the most help in Bitnami today. Um, and I think that's important to think through too. I mean, everybody has a superpower in my view. I mean, a a well-rounded marketer can do a lot of things well, but they usually have one thing that they do really well. And we put a lot of thought in our search into uh, what that was and what Bitnami really needs around uh, the enterprise business that we just launched. And thinking about the role that way was really helpful for me and I think led to a more successful outcome than some of our earlier searches when we didn't have that level of clarity around, you know, where does this person have to be really, really deep in order to help move the business forward? Well, and I, and I think that clarity will, will pay off in, in spades, so to speak for, for the organization. And, and it's the kind of thing that we're um, with the book and with the podcast trying to help founders uncover is what is it that they really need and at what stage and how do you know and identify the right person, the right people to bring in to help you achieve that. Your experiences early on with, you know, making some missteps along the way happen all too often. And it's, it's a combination of not really understanding what the marketer's perspective is. And then sometimes a combination of, you know, not really understanding what it is that the organization really needs at that stage. You may feel like you need leads, but what you really need to do is just win a couple of key customers and build successful relationships with them. Or you may feel like you're ready to go launch out in the marketplace, but what you're really trying to do is just develop your sort of product market fit. And knowing where you are at those stages is is a real challenge. And, you know, I think there's some there's some good opportunities for founders to continue to grow and to learn. And there's some good opportunities for marketers to go along and learn with them. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here is just help bridge those gaps. Yeah, and if I can add one other thing that you didn't mention, hiring sure. marketers in general is hard because they're marketers and they're really good at marketing themselves. Like, let's not overlook that. It's it's really hard <laughs> if you're not yourself a great marketer to know what a great marketer looks like. Um, and as with any role, there are some people that are exceptionally good and there are a lot of people who are less good. And that's it's really <laughs> challenging with marketing, I think. Um, you know, we had 80 to 100 people apply for our role, um, which I was pretty happy with because um, we didn't use a search form firm or anything. And uh, it was really hard going through those candidates because marketers, if they're any good, should look 
come across fantastically well, which is something that we found challenging too. And one tip that I'd give for, for founders is to speak with fantastically good marketers like yourself and try to understand what they, what they look like. Like even if you can't hire the person, which is a fantastic marketer who has proven that they can deliver? What do they look like? How do they talk? What do they talk about? What questions they ask? What do they care about? And then that helps you kind of get this, this kind of persona in your mind of what you're looking for. And actually, I got that guidance from Y Combinator. Um, they've got this wonderful woman named Giacinto working with them. And she was really helpful in helping to shape my thought and my approach to hiring leaders across the org um, in sales and marketing in particular, though. Um, and I, I found that really helpful, like get out and talk to great people. It sounds obvious, but a lot of people don't do that. No, no. And I think that's, I think that's one of the keys, right? Uh, you know, if we're, if founders are, are building their networks of support around them, reaching out and leaning into them and asking them for help, asking them for guidance, um, continuously looking for other resources to help them make decisions on how to bring marketers in, how to bring people in at the right time. Again, going back to your point of just say no, right? How do you, how do you start <laughs> thinking about, how do you think about saying no to opportunities that are presented to you so that you can focus on the right things? Um, that relies on a, a network of people around you to help you make some of those decisions. And in part, being able mm -hmm. to listen to podcasts like this and, and you know, <laughs> listen to interviews like you, where you can call that out and be really explicit and say, look, my time's valuable and here's how I use it and here's how I think about it. It's a commodity. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Perfect. Well, listen, Erica, the, the 20, 25 minutes or so for this goes by really, really fast. And, and I know uh, just knowing how you and I are, we could talk for a really long time. <laughs> um, yeah. But I did, I did, I did want to give you the opportunity. Was there anything that we talked about in, in these sort of general ideas that we missed or any sort of last tidbits that you want to, uh, you know, to give to the founders and the, you know, the marketers that work with them uh, before we, you know, hop off the call? Oh boy, there's so many things I could say. <laughs> I think the most important thing is, you know, surround yourself with great people inside and outside of the company, and don't be don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, we've had some spectacularly brilliant and successful people, you know, offer their time to us, whether they're in an official advisory capacity or not to the company. Um, and I think in the early days too, we didn't, we knew these people's time was so valuable that we didn't really want to impose on them to ask for questions or help or things that we thought should probably be obvious to us, but we were having a hard time getting our heads around. So, you know, if, it, if I can give one piece of advice, it would be, you know, there are a lot of people who have done well, who take great delight in giving back as long as you're really busting your ass to make your company successful, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you're treating it like a pleasure cruise, they're going to be less likely to want to help you. But if you're really, you know, you've got grit and drive and you're working hard, people like to help and they like to get to be involved in helping, um, you know, fledgling companies get off the ground and be successful. Uh, I know I spend a lot of my time with other founders because I find it really rewarding selfishly, right? I like to pass on some of the things that I've learned. So, you know, find great folks and don't be shy about asking for help. Yeah, that's, that's one, you know, on the, on the flip side, I'm, I'm often um, and sometimes surprised by how, how um, how many times the 
the offer is not taken up on, you know, that marketers and Mm -hmm. people that I know in my network have offered to help with organizations and it's just never activated on. And it doesn't mean it's always a great fit, but I do think there's something to uh, a hesitancy to ask for help and, and, you know, the opportunity to have some really great people support you and work in your networks to help you when, um, you know, when they're willing to do it, it just is a question of holding out your hand and asking for help. Yeah, and I I would say, you know, do so with specific intent, too. What I do find a bit annoying is when people are just like, I'd like to get to know you. Can we grab a coffee? It's like, (laughs) you know, I won't help you, but that's, I'm probably going to say no. Unless somebody I know and trust asks me to help you, I'm not going to take that meeting. But if you say, hey, Erica, I read about this specific thing you did. I have a specific question about this. I need help with this. Like a founder emailed me yesterday. I'm thinking about raising my first round. You have a few quick tips. Happy to reply to that, right? But give me, have a specific purpose and come prepared and then send a thank you note. (laughs) Just send a thank you (laughs) note. So many people don't do that these days. It can be an email, but thank people. Um, you know, I think manners are not dead and, and then you'll get a lot more goodwill and help to come. But yeah, you do, you know, do ask for help, but also be specific, come prepared and be respectful of people's time and appreciative of it when they give it to you. And then you'll get a lot more help flowing your way. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Sage advice. Uh, Erica, thank you so much for, for hopping on the call today. Very much appreciated. Best of luck with the, uh, the new hire, the new CMO, and, uh, and you know, for the company for the, the remainder of the year and, and forward. So thanks for hopping on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This was fun. Well, that was so great. I love listening to Erica talk. She has such a great turn of phrase. She's so pragmatic and smart and spot on about the things that she's learned along the way as being a founder and how she's really taking the idea of saying no to heart. If you'd like to follow Erica, you can do so. On Twitter, she's Erica Brescia, and on LinkedIn, E. Brescia. If you want to follow her on the website, it's bitnami.com. For insights and more, exactly like we talked on the podcast today, you can find them in the book, Beyond Product. That's Beyond Product. And if you'd like to keep listening to the podcast, you can subscribe and follow us on foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, a place where exceptional founders grow. Thanks for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.